Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And back in those days, and we're talking, you know, in the early 60s, there was a Philco radio and it had a big dial that you twisted to get these stations. And at late at night, I'd go to bed and I would turn the dial to AM radio. I would be listening to these games from West Virginia. Hey, hey, fanatics, it's Jake Marin, and I am, of course, here with Claire Kramer. Claire, how are you this lovely morning? Oh, hello. I'm doing fantastic, Jake. I've got my coffee. I've got my water. I feel like morning is like beverage time, but not the fun beverages. These are the beverages out of necessity. (laughs) These are the, I got to get going. Right. Just the survival beverages. Survival beverages. I love it. They just changed to fun beverages somewhere in the, you know, early evening. And that means you've made it through the day. Anyway, Uh why are we talking about beverages? We need to be talking about basketball. And we are here with Mark Turtletob, who has worked on a few films, you know, like Little Miss Sunshine, Everything is Illuminated, God's Behaving Badly, and a film that we just got to watch, Claire, called Jules. That was so heartwarming, stars Ben Kingsley. It was really a sweet film, and I'm really glad we get to talk to Mark about something he loves, because it's clear he has such passion for film. I mean, geez, those are, you know, just a few little credits there. (laughs) Just a couple. The thing I love about his filmmaking is it's very insightful. It's not escapism. It's not Jason Bourne and it's not big Star Wars. It's real. Yeah. It's like, oh, I can relate to that. With Jules, that is exactly how I felt when I was watching it. Agreed. And I love that he talks to us more about basketball because he equates basketball to movie Mm -hmm. making in the episode. And fanatics, I promise you, you are going to love the connection because it really opened my eyes quite a bit clear if I'm being honest. And I love talking basketball in general. And Mark clearly has a lot of passion and knowledge for the sport. So it's just a lot of fun and fanatics get excited because Claire and I are about to dive into the world of basketball with Mark Turtletop. Okay. Mark Turtletop, tell me what specifically about basketball do you love? Are you a player? Are you a fan of a certain team or do you just love going and playing pickup and watching people play wherever they are? All of the above. Okay. I'm a player. I'm a fan. I'm a pundit. At least I think I'm a pundit. I love uh, all aspects of it, Jake. Do you have a specific team that you have 
rooted for your entire life? You know, I have at, at different times. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, I was a big New York Knicks fan professionally because I grew up in New Jersey. And you sort of had to be one, you know, it's kind of like you lived in the neighborhood. And if you lived in this neighborhood, you were a Yankee fan in baseball. If you lived a couple of blocks over, you were a Giant fan back in the day. And if you lived a few blocks over, you were a, a Dodger fan. But basketball, it was all Knicks growing up. And now, uh, for a number of years, I lived in Sacramento, uh, and so I still root for the Sacramento Kings professionally. Uh, I root for my college team, the University of Pennsylvania, and I root for UCLA just because I like to finally win some games and see a team that wins. <laughs> Fair enough. You just mentioned like all the major, at least American sports. What do you think it is that attracts someone like you to basketball versus you know, any any other Americana sport or team you could pick? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. One, I played competitively when I was younger. Now I play for fun, but I played competitively when I was young. And so I know the game mm-hmm. uh, on a personal level. And I played it uh, every day, literally every single day of my life from the time I was 12 till I graduated from college every single day. Even when I was playing another sport, I'd go out and shoot around for a few moments. So there's that, which is a big part of it. But then also there's something about a team sport, which I love. I make movies and I direct movies and it's the same feeling when you're directing a movie, you're working with a hundred plus people and you have each other's back. You know, some days I'll make a mistake and the cinematographer will cover for me. Some days he'll make a mistake and I'll hopefully cover for him. Uh, It's the same thing in basketball. When you play with certain people that you're used to playing with, you've got each other's back and you know, gee, that's where he likes to get the ball And this is where I like to get the ball. And you'd kind of anticipate that. So it's the teamwork, I think, that I love. Tennis is a great sport. I like it, but it's not the same when you have a team playing together. And they don't have to always be the greatest athletes. It's the the way they fit together. Mm -hmm. To me, it's an interesting metaphor for life. In your decades of playing and now enjoying and watching basketball, how do you feel the sport has evolved with the athletes evolving, the athleticism, the the caliber of nutrition and training that has evolved over the past decades. What do you see? Has it stayed the same or has basketball grown with the spectrum of athleticism we see from professional athletes? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, the athletes have gotten bigger and better and faster and stronger and all those things. And so I'm not one of the people that says, oh, gee, you know, the guys from 50 years ago were so much better. I mean, they were great in their period and there are people that are great in this period. The athletes just change. In terms of the sport itself, it's become obviously a gigantic business. Mm -hmm. I remember literally, I'm old, so I remember when teams were being sold, you know, for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now they're being sold for billions of dollars. So it's a whole different. I remember watching uh, the college basketball championships, and you could barely uh, get it on TV. Now it's, you know, this mega event, and they have all these sorts of competitions that you can wager on who's going to be in the final 16, the final eight, the final four. None of that existed when I started watching basketball and playing basketball. It's a, become a very commercial and popular sport. And on top of that, Mark, basketball has 
gone from a sport back in the day, I'm sure when you started playing, it was very physical. You know, it wouldn't be strange to see a couple guys get into it, maybe throw a punch or two. And now it's gone from having a lot of guys in the post to a lot of guys shooting threes. Do you enjoy how the game has changed or do you long for the way the game used to be? You know, I focus and the teams I like the most, to be honest with you, Jake, I like the teams that are teams, as I mentioned. Yeah. I don't love teams that are centered around one player. As I mentioned, I direct movies and I work with this guy, Alan Arkin, who just passed away, this amazing actor. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he said to me is, I'm not really interested in movies which center around one person. I'm only interested in movies which are ensembles. And he was capable and could carry a whole movie, but he loved ensembles. And that's what I love the best about basketball is that it's an ensemble story. I'm not interested in a team that revolves around one player, especially if that player is seven foot two and down in the post. Then you're just watching the ball go into him, sometimes a her, uh, depending on what you're watching. But usually it's a, a big center, in the, and that doesn't interest me. It's when the ball moves around and people are are sharing the ball, moving a lot. Those are the teams. And I think that's the teams that most people like. I think about the Warriors in recent years where yeah. all this kinetic movement and little guys that are little, meaning 6'2", like Steph Curry, can dominate. To me, that's interesting because it's not just one-on-one. Do you have a marquee game that you played in that you will always remember is that one moment or that one game? I don't have one game. When I was in high school, I was on an all-star team and we played against the professionals and I played against Will Chamberlain and I played against a guy named Richie Guerin, who I guarded, who was a six foot four guard back in the day when there weren't a lot of six foot four inch guards. So that was kind of a fun experience. It wasn't a, a, you know, obviously not competitive. We're a bunch of high school kids playing against, you know, Will Chamberlain. But I have pictures of that from that game. And that was sort of a fun moment. That's amazing. That's Awesome. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I'm curious, Mark, you know, you mentioned you played every day starting at age 12. How did you get into basketball? Was this something a family member introduced you to or did you stumble upon it on your own? I was relatively tall. I'm 6'3". And so when you're over six foot, they grab you and they say, oh, you should try this. And then I found I was relatively good at it. And so uh, it just led me. And then when any child begins to have success, it motivates them. And so like the greatest coaches that I had were the ones that encouraged me. It's just like teachers, that we have great teachers, right? And we all remember. I remember Mrs. Mashursky, my <laughs> third grade teacher, and Mr. Capriglione, my eighth grade teacher. And they saw the best in me, even when other people might not. And they encouraged me. And it was the same thing with basketball. I had coaches. I had Richard O'Connell that just, he touched me and he saw who I was. I was a I was a feisty kid that had got into a lot of fights. You don't end up with a nose like this by accident. <laughs> it got broken a couple of times, more than a couple. And yet when somebody sees you, a teacher or a, another adult, uh, it allows you to, to flourish. And so I think that was the biggest thing. 
you likened, you know, the team and the five players, the game and the process of the game as a metaphor to life. Can you expand on that a little bit? That's really an interesting statement that I'd like to hear more about. I don't want to stretch the metaphor too thinly, but I think that the notion that you uh, work together with others and you collaborate to create something greater than the whole is a great metaphor for what succeeds in life. I mentioned my movie making. No, directors get way too much credit. We work with a hundred plus people. And tonight I'm going to do a screening of my movie Jewels in a theater here in New York for the crew. Nobody really, I see all those names, Gaffer and and Best Boy and, and all those names. And they go, who are those people? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, all of those people are part of that team. And without that team, that movie doesn't get made. And all of us have to be making the Mm -hmm. same movie. It can't be like, I've got a vision. And then the woman that does the costumes or the, or the guy that does the hair has a different movie, then they're not going to make that actor look the way that the rest of us. So it's the same thing in basketball and in life. You have to collaborate with people, I think, to succeed. And you get great joy out of that. There's a joy in doing that. That's much greater than just the self-egotistical sense of, oh, good, I wrote this book or I made this play or whatever it is. There's something that we learn from sports, which is healthy. There's lots that's not healthy, (laughs) especially with the commercialism and especially for young people too early. But there's a lot that is a metaphor for how to succeed in life. And that is work with others, share the attribution And there's a lot to be learned from failure. There's a lot to be learned from not succeeding and then trying again. All of that is just great metaphors for life. I love it. Take us back to your origin story with basketball. When was the first time you remember going to a game or playing as a young boy? What is the origin of this uh, love? You know, I can't remember the exact moment, but I do, you know, back in the day when I was 11 or 12, I do remember, you know, folks just having, everybody had basketballs. We were outside all the time in those days. Kids were not sheltered. You left the house and you were gone. I mean, you know, you'd come home for dinner after school. Uh, I remember we lived uh, in New Jersey and there was uh, some woods nearby. It's what we call them, the woods. We're going to go to the woods. Uh, and you go climb in the woods with four other kids and you'd be gone for the afternoon and your mother and father wouldn't be worried about you. You'd come home when you needed to. It was the same thing with basketball. You'd go to other other people's houses and they'd have a net up on the side. And we had one eventually over the garage uh, and the driveway. And that's where I started shooting. So I'd say that's where it all started. Mm-hmm. And then from there, clearly there have been players like Wilt Chamberlain who have touched you. What other famous NBA or college basketball players really stick out in your mind? As a kid, I was a fanatic. I was pretty stupid about basketball. So I would get into my room, even when I was in high school, I was playing, but I still loved it, listening to these other players. And back in those days, and we're talking, you know, in the early 60s, there was a Philco radio and it had a big dial that you twisted to get these stations. And at late at night, I'd go to bed and I would turn the dial to AM radio and I'd get Wheeling, West Virginia. The reason Wheeling, because that was the home of the University of West Virginia University. I think they're the Mountaineers. Uh They had one great backcourt player after another who ended up going to the NBA. There was Hot Rod Huntley and 
Jerry West and Rod Thorne, one after another. Some one guy that shot foul throws behind his back because he was so cocky uh, when they were ahead. And I would listen late at night on my radio after I was supposed to be asleep, you know, at 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. I would be listening to these games from West Virginia. So that was, you know, early on listening to those players. And then in the pros, Later on, I got to love this guy, Walt Frazier, who played for the Knicks, who now is an announcer. And what I loved about him, he was such an interesting guy because he was physically so adept. He played defense as well as offense. But there was a great, maybe the greatest player of the era was a guy named Oscar Robertson, who was the sort of Michael Jordan before Michael Jordan. And Oscar, who was about 6'5", could do anything, but he would go up against a big guy, a seven-footer, and he would see the seven-footer. And all Oscar would do is he wouldn't take any effort. He'd just lean back and shoot the ball further away from the player that was guarding him and just loft it over him and it would go through the basket. And you didn't realize how hard that was to accomplish until you imagine doing it with a seven-footer in front of you. But he did it, and it made it seem effortless. Walt Frazier, who I came to love, wasn't like that. When Walt Frazier would go up against a seven-footer, he'd jump up, he'd see the seven-footer, he'd have the ball in his right hand, and then suddenly he'd switch it over to his left hand and shoot it with his left hand. And he was the first guy that I remember seeing having that kind of physicality that he could adjust midair and do things that Oscar made look effortless. Uh, With Walt Frazier, you got to see the effort, but you also got to see amazing athleticism. And you've talked about being a Knicks fan when you were a kid, because obviously you're from Jersey. You talk about Walt Frazier right there. Those early 70s Knicks, that was an amazing team. Did they stick out as somebody that you rooted for back then? Oh, yeah. I was in graduate school then, and I was in New York in graduate school. So I got to go to some of those games. Oh, I started going to the Nick games. You'll laugh. I went to the early Nick games as a kid in high school. I saw Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, when he was uh, Lou Alcindor. And he was about a 15-year-old, or 14-year-old freshman wow. or sophomore in high school. And I think you paid two bucks or four bucks to go to the garden. And you take a bus in and then you walk up to the garden and uh, you get in there and you go up to the top of the, you know, and everyone was allowed to smoke in the garden in those days. So you'd be sitting there and the smoke from the cigarettes and the cigars would start wafting up to the upper decks where we were sitting. And I remember sitting there with one of my buddies uh, who was on the high school team with me, Billy, and he goes, look at that guy. Look at how big he is. And I looked on the program, and it was uh, Louis Ferdinand Alcindor, later Kareem Abdul-Jamar. And I think he was a six-foot-ten-inch freshman who later, of course, became one of the greatest players of all time. But back in the 70s, jumping forward, we weren't paying two or four bucks anymore for seats, but we were watching the Knicks. And uh, I love them for the same reason that we talked about, Jake. It was a team. Mm-hmm. It wasn't dominated by one person. They had Frazier, but they had all these other guys that played like a team. You mentioned, you know, all the people that work on movies. I think of Phil Jackson, you know, the last guy on the bench diving around, using his body, doing whatever, and then continues to work his way up to becoming one of the greatest coaches. Yeah, he played a role. It's a great coach. Each one of the players knew their role. 
and he played a role. He played defense. He got he hit the boards. He hit a few people with his elbows, but that was his job. All right. Well, Mark, I think it's about time. We're going to jump into some rapid fire here. Claire, would you like to start us off with a few? Sure. Okay. So preference for watching now. We're talking about current Mark basketball love. College versus NBA. Uh, probably college, but I love them both. Mm-hmm. One-on-one game. Who are you going to play? If you got a choice with playing against anyone in the world. If I could play anyone in the world, I would love to play Steph Curry, and I would teach him a lot about basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That leads right into our next one. Great three-pointer or great dunk? A uh, three-pointer. Okay. Lakers or Celtics? Uh, don't like either. Okay. This is a good one. Best basketball movie? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, I mean, Hoosiers is one that comes to mind. It's kind of a classic. That's probably what I would pick. Right there with you. All right. Best coach currently coaching in the NBA? Oh, that's interesting. Well, you know, Greg Popovich is a, is a great coach. I think he's probably the, the guy that Steve Kerr is a great coach. There's a bunch of them. I also like the 76ers. I think Nurse, their new coach, is interesting. Oh, this is a good question. What's more important, having somebody who's a great passer or having a great rebounder? They're both critical. You know, you have to rebound to, uh, you know, to be able to defend and get the ball down court. And you have to be able to pass to make everybody else good. So they're both critical. Baggy shorts or those old school (laughs) short shorts? Oh, baggy. Before we sort of get into the love letter to basketball, let's sort of call back to your own history with the sport. We talked about you as a kid, you know, in Jersey, the experience, the freedom almost to explore and to find your love for basketball. What do you think now as an adult, Mark, that is touched on, you know, with you emotionally when you're watching a game? Why is it still so important to you? What does it mean to you in your life? You know, it's an enjoyment. Above all else, I just enjoy it. It's something that gives me a break from the rest of my life. Uh, It's something that uh, I can relate to because I can imagine what it feels like, I think. I think all people that like sports, we can all sort of imagine that a little bit. But most of all, I just enjoy the beauty of seeing something done really well. Like going to see a great dance performance or a great actors on stage. It's just something done really well touches me. Amazing. Absolutely. With that, would you please regale us with a love letter to basketball? I knew you were going to do that, and I still don't have something great to say. I guess I'll say thank you for all the years of watching and playing basketball. Thank you for the wonderful sound that the ball makes when it goes through the net and doesn't hit the rim. I love it. Awesome. That is great. Thank you, Mark. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura. No murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus. 
Claire, Mark loves basketball. That's for sure. <laughs> I love basketball too. Same. I feel like I should have had one more kid because, you know, I have four, but if I would have had five, we could have been like, you know, the Keithley five, like the Jackson five, but the Keithley five, and then we could have had a basketball team. I was one step away. I quit a little too soon, Jay. I mean, Claire, you could, you know, there's adoption, there's surrogacy. Look, I'm not giving up on your dream of of having a basketball team (laughs) for children. Oh, (laughs) One day, maybe I'll just buy a team. You know, that that seems attainable as well. I think that's a very attainable goal. It's probably cheaper. <laughs> it's, it's about the same cost. Yeah. You know, it's probably about the same, what you got to pay these athletes. Uh, well, Fanatics, I hope you enjoyed listening to Mark discuss basketball as much as we love talking to him. Again, I want to talk to you, Claire, about a big point he made regarding his love of basketball because it's a team sport and his love of movies that specifically focus on a cast of characters instead of one single lead. And I I found that fascinating because I never thought of basketball in the same sense as like making a movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's true. Everybody has their job to do, whether you're the center or the three-point shooter. Or the craft services. Or the craft services or whatnot. And if you're not doing your job proficiently, then the unit or the team is not going to succeed. So it's, it's actually a really great analogy. I like it. I'm into it. Fanatics, if you're into it, Make sure that you follow and share and you just get the word out about the Fanatics podcast because we love having you and we want to remind you that sharing is caring. Yes, wearefanatics.com, at wearefanatics on Twitter. Let us know your thoughts. Did you like this episode? What topic would you like and who would you like to see us interview? Drop it in the comments or tweet us and let us know and we'll, you know, we'll do our best to reach out to those people. Until next time. Bye. See you guys next Thursday. Bye. And before you guys go, coming up next week on Fanatics, we have filmmaker Peter Michael Dowd. Yes, the king of size, Norman Jones, and his new documentary, Mr. Jimmy, which is featuring Led Zeppelin and its music and a really endearing hero character. Do not miss next week's episode. See you guys then. Thank you for listening to Fanatics, a Roddenberry podcast. For more episodes and info, head over to wearefanatics.com or tweet your fanatics thoughts and stories at wearefanatics. Yes, that's we are F-A-N-A-D-D-I-C-T-S. Our show is hosted by Claire Kramer and me, David Magadoff. Produced by me, Claire Kramer, and Kelsey Goldberg. Executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham. And you can thank Stephen Mudd for our theme song. Catch us next Thursday for another Fanatics episode.